Would you stand with me, please, in honor of God's word? This uh, journey of, of walking with Jesus and going deeper um, could not fit better with the message that we have today. So I really want to encourage you to check that out. All right, one verse from Joshua. 11.23, so Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. And then over in Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We need you. Would you unpack this passage? Would our hearts be strangely warmed by the rest that you have made for us in Christ? Could we more fully realize it, God, not just mentally, but in our hearts? May we experience it in a greater dimension today. Lord, we love you. We commit this time to you. Help us, we ask, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Promise of Rest. Point one is foreshadows of rest. In Hebrews 4, he references two foreshadows of rest. One being the promised land and the other being the Sabbath day. We want to talk about both of those. First, the promised land. Exodus 3, 8. So I have come down to rescue them, this is God speaking, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So God's plan, he reveals to Moses, is not just out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Egypt, but into this land that is going to be spacious for them that flows with milk and honey. God's plan is not just out of Egypt, but into the promised land. The first group, of course, um, did not go in. They, they got out of Egypt, but they ended up dying in the wilderness because they didn't believe, they, and because they didn't believe, they didn't obey, they didn't go in to the rest that God had made for them. Um, so Joshua does. Joshua, it brings them in to the land, and in our passage here, it says that he gave Israel all of their inheritance, and they were now at rest from war. But the author of Hebrews says, look, Joshua 
did not give them the rest that the full rest that was promised because David wrote hundreds of years later today if you hear his voice today don't harden your heart um I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest the, the people that didn't but he says if Joshua had given them rest, had given them the fullness of this rest then it wouldn't have been said another time there's a, there's a rest there's a there's a rest today the Joshua's rest foreshadowed and then he goes into this second illustration about the sabbath day he says as god said somewhere which should be really encouraging for anybody that forgets references in the Bible. We've got the authors of scripture saying, as somebody said somewhere. So be, be comforted by that. Um, that on the seventh day, God rested from his works. And then it says this about the seventh day. And it's only on the seventh day. He sanctified it or set it apart. And he blessed it. The favor of God was on the seventh day. To understand Sabbath, you have to understand that this was not given to the Israelites until after they came out of Egypt. It was in the wilderness that Moses wrote the law, that God gave him the law. So even though Genesis happened way before, uh, it wasn't written down until then. And they started practicing Sabbath while they were in the wilderness. And Sabbath was when you didn't, on, on Saturday, the last day of the week, you didn't work. Your animals didn't work. Your servants didn't work. Nobody worked. You practiced rest. And then in the, in the Ten Commandments, this is from Deuteronomy 5.15, he says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why? Because there has been an identity change. Your identity while you were in Egypt was you were slaves that were oppressed. You were slaves. Your whole identity was work. And you were oppressed. It was all about this work you did. And this oppression you were under. But the Sabbath day. Is when you meditate on your new identity. You remember. That's what you were. But now. The Lord has brought you out. With a mighty mighty arm. He has brought you out by his work on your behalf. And now your identity is now what God did for you and the freedom that you have because of that. This is the new identity of the people of God foreshadowed in Sabbath day. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Sabbath day was fulfilled in Christ. In the new covenant, we don't rest on a day. We rest in a person. Jesus is the reality. He is the fulfillment of Sabbath day. So when the author of Hebrews says there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, he's talking about this rest that God has made in Christ. Now why is this so important? Here's why. You can track through the entire Old Testament Sabbath was the sign that God's people were set apart by him. And whenever they kept their Sabbaths, they were blessed and God's favor was on them. And whenever they didn't stop working and, and chose to keep working and, and not let the, the land lie when it was a Sabbath year, judgment would come. God's blessing was on Sabbath. And when his people kept Sabbath and his judgment came whenever they stopped keeping Sabbath. 
So, so in the new covenant, we, and we have some churches and some denominations, because the Sabbath day is in the Ten Commandments, they're like, this is an eternal thing. We should be keeping it. And so they worship on Saturday. And, and you get into all kinds of troubles when you add the, the Sabbath day to the moral law. The, the Sabbath's not part of the moral law. The other nine commandments of the Ten Commandments are the moral law. And they're still in place. And God has put them in the heart of his people. He's written those laws on us. And so when you walk in Christ, you're going to fulfill the moral law. But the Sabbath was the ceremonial law. It is the gospel in the Ten Commandments. It foreshadows Jesus coming and doing this work on our behalf when Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Remember what he said? It is finished. Christianity begins in rest. It begins by us accepting the finished work of Christ. And then it is to be lived out of this place of rest. This, this place where we're not, we're not living in our works. We've ceased from our works and we enter into the works of God. And we'll talk more about that in point two. So let's, let's move to point two. Um, point two is the divine Joshua. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses represents the law. Sometimes the law is just called Moses. The law is all about our performance. The way you got blessed under the law was by obeying and you got cursed. If you disobeyed, it was all about human performance. And human performance could never get us into the promised land. That's why Moses himself didn't go in. He failed. And so human performance doesn't get you. It gets you right to the edge. And the most you can realize of human performance is that you're not good enough for God. You're not good enough to get in yourself. What it took was Joshua. Joshua is simply the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is Greek. Joshua, Hebrew. But they both mean the same thing. The one who saves. Jesus is the one that brings us in to this promised rest. He is the one by his grace and by his truth. And interesting, that word truth there, it's the word for reality. He's the substance. He's what everything was pointing to all along. Through his, the reality of his presence. He himself is the truth. By his grace and by his presence, he brings us in to this promised life in him. So exactly what does, did Jesus do for us? First, He broke the fear of death. This is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus took on flesh and blood for this purpose that he might die our death. In Hebrews 2, it says he tasted death for everyone. He tasted your death so that you wouldn't have to die, so that you wouldn't live under the fear of death. We don't think about it a lot. But there is a fear of death that hangs over the human race. So last um, spring, I had a sabbatical and I was studying revival on the sabbatical and part of what I, I just became absolutely convicted of is we just need more of God's presence in our services. We, it's not that we need better teaching or more charismatic teaching or better lights or better. We need more of God's presence. This is where revival comes from. And so I told my wife, and, and she could join me if she wanted to, I'm committing an hour every Saturday night just to pray for the service. Just going to pray. Just going to pray for more of God's presence, more of God's anointing. And, and, uh, 
And so she joined me and I, it was a few weeks later, my daughter called and we're, we're in the middle of COVID, everything's locked down. And she says, uh, this is one of my daughters, she says, we're bored. Um, we want to come over and play games. And I said, well, uh, here's where you could come um, when we'll be available because we have to pray an hour first. We pray for an hour every Saturday night, but if you want to come early and pray, go ahead. And so they show up, for, her and her husband show up for the prayer time, and, um, and then we have our game time. And, uh, and, and while they're on the way out, my son-in-law says, would you mind if we joined you every week for the prayer? You're going to do this? Would, would you mind if we joined you? I'm like, no, absolutely. Do you know that they haven't missed a single Saturday since then? It's been like a year now. And, and they have some friends that they invited that have come, and, and the friends have been just as faithful as they have. And um, so, but near the end of the year, um, I just felt like our prayers were, they were just a little too man-centered, and they were a little too repetitive. And I'm like, we need to do something for our prayers, that they will just become deeper and better and stronger. So we purchased a book for each of the couples that I've been reading for years called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And this, is, this book, there's these little short chapters there on who God is in himself. Considering who God is apart from humanity. And, and so we started doing that. And, and so every, we, we have a chapter every week. And, and before we do our hour prayer, everybody has to share one insight they got from the book. Well, a couple weeks ago, the, chapter, the title of the chapter was God's infinitude. When is the last time you used the word infinitude? <laughs> and, and what it was about was that everything God is, is without limits. He's absolutely boundless. He's infinite in his love. He's infinite in his grace. He's infinite. Everything about God is infinite, and everything about humanity has limits. Everything has boundaries. Everything, we use the word, you know, boundless energy, but it doesn't mean boundless energy. The only one that's got boundless energy is God himself. And, uh, and so we're, we're reading this, and everybody's sharing their insight. And here, here, was my, here was the thing that gripped me, and I just read it to the group. This is from A.W. Tozer. We poor human creatures are constantly being frustrated by limitations imposed upon us. Life is a short and fevered rehearsal for a concert we cannot stay to give. Just when we appear to have attained some proficiency, we are forced to lay our instruments down. There is simply not time enough to think, to become, to perform what the constitution of our natures indicates we are capable of. How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Eternal years lie in his heart. For him, time does not pass, it remains. And those who are in Christ share with him all the riches of limitless time and endless years. God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. For those out of Christ, time is a devouring beast. Before the sons of the new creation, time crouches and purrs and licks their hands. The foe of the old human race becomes the friend of the new. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. And this is everybody. Everybody that's created has eternity in their hearts. But to those out of Christ, to the unbelieving, time is an enemy because I'm running out. I've got all these things that I want to do. I've got all these friends I want to have, but I'm running out and I'm getting older and I'm slowing down and I'm getting weaker. And it is this devouring beast that acts like this terror over their lives. Paul calls it, or, or Hebrews calls it, the fear of death that is always over because I'm running 
out and I haven't done everything. I haven't, I haven't accomplished all that I wanted to accomplish. And that very enemy becomes the friend of the believer in Christ. For the believer, time is no longer an enemy. Death is no longer an enemy. Death is a promotion. Paul says to live is Christ to die is gain. I'm not running out of time. I'm just, I'm faithful to what I can do and I realize I'm doing very limited stuff here. But in eternity, I will have none of those limitations. Everything that's in my heart can be accomplished. It doesn't all have to happen here. I can say no to things. I can say no to, um, I'd like to be friends, best friends with everybody, but I can't do it down here, but I will be able to then. It changes everything. The infinitude of God. So one of the young men in our group shared this insight. We're going around. What what, what did you get out of this chapter? And here's what he said. He said, said, "This, this made me see my sin and my darkness different. Because I realized that however bad my sin is, however bad my darkness is, it's limited. But God's grace, by definition, is unlimited. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He said, I used to think of it as good versus evil, but that's not what it is. Because there's no match. Evil has limits. Grace, good, has no limits. God's goodness has absolutely no limits. Of course, goodness and grace will triumph over all my evil, over all my darkness. I just need to stay in grace because there's no limits to grace. It always wins over limited evil and limited darkness. And friends... Before you get too discouraged about our world and the, the, our darkness and evil and it's all taken away. Listen, everything in this world is limited. The darkness is limited. The evil is limited. There's only one thing that's not limited. And that's the goodness of God and the grace of God and his power to bring about his purpose. Amen. Hallelujah. Point three, last point, effort to rest. Well, this is an oxymoron. (laughs) So make every effort to enter that rest, huh? How do you make effort to rest? Well, the whole passage begins with, oh, point one, under, (laughs) I've got three points under effort to rest, so. For those of you who thought, we're, we're almost gone. Nope, not quite. Um, how, how, do we, how do we give effort to rest? First is to believe. To believe. The writer of Hebrews says, the good news was preached to them. What do you, what do you mean the good news? They, Jesus hadn't even come yet. How could the good news? No, the good news for them was you, the, the promised land. The promised land was was preached to all those that came out of Egypt, all those that were in the wilderness. Moses is like, man, we're halfway. There is a promised land now that flows with milk and honey. There's plenty of room. It'll be spacious. It'll be awesome. That's the good news. But they didn't enter. And the reason they didn't enter was because of unbelief that led to disobedience. You remember the story. They saw the giants. They got intimidated. They saw the walled cities. They said, yes, it is a land that flows with milk and honey, but there are, there are too many giants. And they gave in to their own fears, and they got looking at the wrong thing. They said, we're like, we're, we're like grasshoppers in the sight of these Anakites. And, and so they didn't go in. They didn't, even though the good news was preached to them, they didn't enter the promised land. And the warning here in Hebrews is to the Jewish Christians because what they're being tempted to to do is go back to the law. They're in Christ. They've come to Christ. They've sacrificed for Christ. And now instead of pushing into this rest in Christ, they are being tempted to go back, back to the law. And the warning is, listen, just because the good news has been preached to you doesn't mean you're in yet. You You need to persevere. Believe. 
He that believes enters into God's rest. Here's John 6, 28 through 29. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work, works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So if this is what's required of us, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? This is a very important question. If that's the work, if that's our part, is to believe in Jesus, it's very important that our definition is the same as God's definition of what believe means. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean mental assent. It doesn't mean give mental assent to the facts. James says the demons believe that way and shudder. In the New Testament, believe is much more profound. John 1, 11 and 12 says, Jesus came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. So biblical faith is this call to union with Christ. This call to oneness with Christ, where he lives in you, where you are no longer just me, but you are we. You, were, you and I were created for this union with Christ where we die to the old man. The old man was the independent man. The old man was the one that lived apart from God. God's out there and I'm here. And the new man is God in me and me living out of this union with Christ. Now that seems a little mystical, so let me make it a little easier for you. This is John 15 verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the, here's this word abides. So it, it, in the Greek, it's the word meno, and it's the verb of a noun that's used in the chapter before, mone. And the noun is this. Jesus says that the Father me and the Father are going to come and we're going to make our home in you. We're going to make you our home. This is the plan of God, that our home would be in you. And so Jesus says, if you will make your home in me, if you will adjust your life so that I am your home, so that, so that you're, you're no longer living alone. You've got a roommate. And, and we are living together. And I am your home. Everything else will take care of itself. You will bring forth much fruit. It will happen. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you're in me, and this is why in Hebrews 4, it's, it says they didn't enter because they didn't believe. And then it says they didn't enter because they disobeyed. And which is it? It's like three times. It's disobeyed, didn't believe, disobeyed. Listen, true belief in Christ, this union with him, obedience is right inside of it. Somebody said it this way. Faith alone saves. But faith that saves is never alone. It will always be accompanied by works. It, when you're in union with Christ, you're going to bring forth fruit. So God's great plan is that you and I become at home in the presence of God. That we make our home in his presence, in his word, his ways. That we allow God to dwell in us. Now, this side of heaven... No one's going to ever accomplish this perfectly. But this is where your fruit is. This is where authority is. This is where Jesus shines the brightest. What happens is, because he's writing to Christians in Hebrews, and he's saying, make, make every effort to enter that rest. Well, they already know about the rest. They've already visited. When you accept Christ, you get, you get the first touch. And then, and then mo most Christians treat it as a visit. We're going to come and we're going to be with God on Sunday morning. And then, and then maybe we're going to add Tuesday night and be with God Tuesday night. And maybe, oh boy, we're going to even do it every morning. We're going to be with God. No, yeah, that is. That's, that's called visiting. And God says, I, I, I don't want to just be a place you visit. I want to be your home. I want to be with you 24-7. Yeah. Instead of being just the first thing in your day, 
I want to be the center of everything in your day. I, I want you and me to live together. I want you to live your whole life from this rest. I want, your, I want the, the beauty uh, and the power of who I am to be linked with you. I want you to be very comfortable that you are never, ever alone. I am always with you. To believe. Make every effort to rest. Secondly, act as the gatekeeper of your own heart. Look at Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule or be umpire in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. This word peace here it's the word, the, the, the Hebrew word is shalom. It is much, much bigger than our word for peace. It is the actual presence of God. It is the, it's the sense of well-being because God's manifest presence is resting on you. And Paul says here, allow the peace of Christ to rule. Whatever else has been ruling your life, let my presence be the ruler. Now the reason why the big word is allow is because Jesus has done all the work for this. Jesus died on a cross. He shed his blood, not just so that we would go to heaven one day, but that we would be able to enter with confidence the presence of God right now every single day. Allow it. Isaiah 53 says he was chastised. The chastisement on him, the punishment on him was to obtain shalom for us. This has been purchased. Well, Pastor Tom, I, you know, being in the presence of God, that's for holy people. No, no, it's not. It turns out there aren't holy people. There's just regular people. And we become holy by the presence of God. We don't earn it. We enter it. It's all, the only way that you don't have an open heaven over you as a believer is if the enemy can get you to believe there isn't an open heaven over you because you've sinned too bad or you failed too bad or you're not worthy or you're not... Of course you're not worthy. None of us are worthy except for Jesus. But thank God he was worthy. And he's opened up heaven over believers so that every single day I can engage and enter the presence of God. You, you are the gatekeeper. You have to allow this. Here's the amazing thing about God. And this is, this is another one of those thoughts that you got to... God's never worn out by you. God's never like, uh, no appointments today. God, God never has the sign up that says, go on on retreat. I need to be renewed. God never has to be renewed. He's always open for business. 24-7. He's ready. He is ready to meet with you. He's unchanging in his love for you. It never, it never grows cold. It never runs out. It, he's unchanging. And that love invites you and me to make our home in his presence. Allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. Nothing else gets to rule. Emotions don't get to rule. Logic doesn't get to rule. It's a, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm not saying we don't use our understanding, but we don't lean on it. It's not in charge. Allow the peace of Christ, allow the presence of God to be the main event. Now, here's the defense. This is, this is John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So here we go. The, uh, Jesus says my purpose is, is to leave my peace here. I'm leaving my very presence, my very shalom to be with you, to be where you live. And then he says this to them. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart become afraid. As long as you're in this life, trouble is going to knock at your door. Trouble is going to be at the gate. 
every single day. All kinds of trouble. Trouble with family. Trouble with finances. Trouble with health. Trouble with the future. Trouble with decisions. Trouble, 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 trouble. And then you've got, and then add to that pandemics and riots and, and politics and trouble, 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 trouble. It's knocking at your door. But listen, you're the gatekeeper. Just because trouble knocks doesn't mean you've got to let it in. You and I can be at peace within the trouble. You and I can say, um, I'm, yeah, I know about you trouble, and I'm going to face you trouble, but I'm going to do it with the peace of God, not with a troubled heart. Most people feel like they're victims of this world, that fear is all around, so I'm, I'm filled with fear. Trouble's all around, so I'm filled with trouble. Listen, Jesus died for something more than this. There is a promise of rest for the people of God. And it's very, very critical that you and I enter it. That you and I live in it. And we won't live in it perfectly, but more and more. That we more and more live in this. Why? It's not just for you, although it's really good for you. <laughs> it's good for you in every way. It's good for your health. It's good for your, for your productivity. It's good for your sleep. Oh my. Has anybody noticed when trouble knocks at the gate? In the middle of the night, early in the morning, fear, trouble, knocking, 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 knocking. If you, if you just feel like you've got to open the door to everybody that comes by, you're going to just live your life filled with trouble and fear, even though you're a Christian. You love Jesus, and your Christianity will amount to this. When I die, I go to heaven. Praise God, I just got to get through this life. That's no way to live. God doesn't want you to just get through. God wants you to win every single day. Now, you can't just do, all right, I'm not going to be afraid. And I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. Listen, you'll, you'll lose that. If, you're on, if that's all you have is defense, if, if you're on defense all the time, eventually the other team's going to score. How many know that? That's why you, you have to do both. You've got to open the gate for his presence. And then you'll be able to have the strength to say no to trouble and fear. Prove it, Pastor. I'll prove it to you. Philippians 4, 7. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Philippians 4, 7. Listen to it. And the peace of God, be anxious for nothing, is, is 4, 6. But with thanksgiving, make all your requests known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Folks, we need that guard. We need that guard. Why? Because then when anxiety comes, we know it's an intruder. Because that's not my, where I live. That's not where my home is. My home is in his peace. My home is in his peace. Jesus won that for me. All right. We can have the worship team come on up. I'm going to tell you one last story. poor worship team. They're probably hiding somewhere right now because it's not time for them to come. In the first service, I, I, I got through my material much quicker. So, there's Joe. Joe's coming out of his office. Praise God. They're coming. They're coming. <clears throat> so, I've got this crazy, crazy relationship with hot tubs. I've had so many supernatural... If, you, if you've been around this place at all, you get bored of my stories about things that happen in hot tubs. And, and God has made it clear to me why. He, it's a prophetic picture. I'm a very type A, go get them person, agenda, schedule, goals. I'm, that's just... I'm just like that. The one time I'm completely relaxed is, is when I'm sitting in a hot tub. When I'm sitting in a hot tub, it's not me doing anything. I'm just letting the hot tub, the heat of it, the, the jets, I'm just allowing. I'm allowing. And it's funny because people are often in hot tubs with you, and I'm completely available to chat with them. I got no, I got no agenda. And, and, and so I've had these different encounters where God will just set up these divine appointments. Well, I had an amazing one two weeks ago. I'm in, the, I'm in the hot tub at the Princeton Club. There's several other people in there, and there's this very chatty, positive 
uh, woman that is talking about how every day is a good day and, and life is amazing. And I, and I just I said, well, you sure, you sure are positive. And she says, have you ever heard of the grace of the universe? And I'm like, hmm? Yeah, I, I have. I, I, I know it's a new age thing. And uh, so here's what I said. I said, uh, I said yeah. I, I said, actually, I do believe that there is a grace in the universe. And it's called redemption. I said, perfection was lost in the Garden of Eden. We lost perfection. But now God relates to the universe through Redemption. This is the central reality that God sees everything through is his redemption. And she says, who are you? <laughs> and I explained that I was a pastor at a church. She says, where? And, and I explained Buckeye Road. She's like, oh, I used to go to that church. When I was a little girl in the 70s, it was called Madison Gospel Tabernacle. And my mom took me there every week. She said, we need to have you on my podcast. And I'm like, tell me about the podcast. And, and so her and this woman from Tennessee have this podcast. They started it before COVID. And it's just, they try to give, you know, help people with positive things. And, and their, their most recent program was on, she was telling me, something called manifesting. Well, once again, manifesting, that's a, that's a new age term. And it's, it, it basically says that you've got this positive energy inside of you that you can, if you imagine your own future, that you can, the universe is like a force that will come around that and you can create things out of nothing by your own. And the manifestation of it is it starts with you imagining it and then you, you applying your own inner energy and then it manifests and, there, and that's how you can control your own life. And, and so once again, I'm just like, I'm like, I'm not sure that you're going to want me on your podcast. And I, and I said, and, and I said Here, here's why. I said, I, I do believe that there, are, there is good and that there is love and, and, and that the center of this thing is redemption. But I, but I also believe there's evil. And I believe there's evil spirits. And I believe there is a dark side of this thing. And, and I said, the, the clearest picture of, of, of the dark side is they won't lead you to the devil. There's a very, very small portion of people that worship the devil. Most 90% on that side, 99% on that side, the, the dark spirits will make you God, will make you powerful, will make you the center, will make you've got all of this. You are kind of the savior of yourself. And, and I said, uh, I said, and that doesn't trouble me because um, that grows old and people become disillusioned by that because it doesn't work. And then eventually Jesus is waiting for everybody to come. And, and she says, I still want you on the podcast. <laughs> And so I said, well, well, you just go to City Church Online and, and uh, send me an email and we'll do the podcast. So we did the podcast last Tuesday. And guys, it was, it was, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what would happen, but I knew it, this was going to be very different than I thought right at the beginning. Because I said, would you guys, we, the one is from Tennessee and the one is, and we're, we're doing a Zoom. And uh, I said, would you mind if we prayed beforehand? I, wanna, I just want to pray for this show. And one of the ladies says, let's start the show and you can pray, on, you can pray as part of the show. And I'm like, <laughs> awesome, awesome. And guys, these two women were so beautiful and so humble. There was nothing in their hearts that was trying to promote something bad. They just... They just didn't know. And so they wanted to hear about everything. They wanted to hear about it. They wanted to hear how we got through COVID and how they asked me specifically, how do you deal with darkness? How do you, how do you deal with the dark side? And, and a lot of the problems, of course, and this is a lot of the problems out there. It's not with Jesus. It's with church. It's with religion. Here's what Jesus said. This is, this is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Did you know that just because you come to church doesn't mean you came to Jesus? <laughs> just because you entered a religious building does not mean that you made contact. It doesn't mean Jesus is the Savior, not church. The history of religion is religion has often hurt people and manipulated people and caused people anxiety and and. And, and Jesus, if you actually read the Gospels, you'll find out who Jesus was most angry with. It was the religious leaders. <laughs> this is about Jesus. And now, I, I'm not dissing church. Church is oftentimes a place where we do meet Jesus. But just because you're in church doesn't mean you met Jesus. And, and so they're just bearing witness with us. They're like, oh my, that is so good. And then they were asking me about the darkness. And how do you... How do you fight back against that because I talked about COVID and I talked about how people can go to very dark places and there's been lots of depression and suicidal thoughts and, and, and how do you deal with the dark side? And, and I said, well, I said, it, it can't, you can't just say to people, be positive because sin is real and shame is real and regrets are real and failure is real and we need that's why Jesus died is so we can bring all that to the cross we can bring every failure every sin every regret everything the cross gives us a new beginning that the human race needs you can't just positive your way out of all the negative things that happen we need Jesus we need a redeemer but then we need to be alert to the spirit world. And I, and I quoted 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. The enemy roars. And it's it's very loud voice. It it comes to us through a voice of fear, a voice of shame, a voice of regret. And because it's so real, it's easy to conclude it must be true. But just because it's loud, guys, doesn't mean it's true. God whispers. God whispers the truth to us. And but then we need to take a stand against evil. This is, he's playing for keeps. He's seeking for people to devour. This is written to Christians. He wants to destroy Christians. Friends, you've got a gate. Just because the devil knocks at it doesn't mean you need to open the door. Just because shame is speaking, just because fear is speaking, just because regret is speaking, doesn't mean you're supposed to open that door. He wants to devour you. Say no. In Jesus' name, no. Because my, God deserved that, that round of applause. Because my identity is not what I have done or done wrong. My identity is in what Jesus has done on my behalf. And these precious women, here's what they said to me. Would you, play, would you please end the show with a prayer for us and for our listeners? And I got to pray. On for, for, the whole, for the whole group. God is on the move, folks. God wants to speak through the confusion of our age. He wants to, con- he wants to speak through the wounds of... Re- what, you know what? Let's stand. We gotta, we gotta do this song. It's, we're almost done. Yeah, I'd never stop talking. So... If you've been around here a while, you know that I, I often use Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And I, I use that verse often for salvation, that, that God is knocking on people's hearts. He's knocking on their lives. And, and we need to allow. The work is done. We need to open the door and let him come in. And it's certainly an appropriate way to use it. And if, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you might have had a mental thought about him or, or some believing a doctrine, but you've never really accepted Christ, you're going to be able to do that in just a moment because he is definitely knocking. But in the original context of that passage... Jesus is actually speaking to his church. 
the church in Laodicea that has gotten off into just independence and mentalness and they're living their Christianity not from this place of rest and fruitfulness but this kind of place of empty presumption where they're not experiencing God anymore and Jesus is like I died for this I'm knocking at the door let me in I want to make it personal. I want to make it real. I don't want to be a theology that's in your head. I want to be a living presence in your heart. And so he knocks even at the church's door. And so instead of having us do this group, that group, can we all just open our arms like this? Lord, you know everybody's address. And Lord, this is an hour you are knocking on the door of every believer and saying, I want more for you. I died so that you would have more than just a hope of heaven when you die. I thank God it includes a hope of heaven when we die. But I died to be a living presence. I died to be your home. I want to bring my beauty and my power to bear on your life today. Not just in you, but through you. Because this world is desperate for it. And so, Father, I pray. Lord, we're opening the door right now. I'm certainly opening mine. Come on, Lord. Come on in. More. Less of us, more of you, Jesus. Lord, less of our works apart from you and more of those beautiful works that we do in union with you. Lord, I pray for more and more our Christianity feels like the ease of heaven. It feels like I am just doing, I'm just showing up and God's doing wonderful, wonderful things. I'm just sitting in the hot tub of grace and God's just doing stuff that I'm witnessing all around me and opening doors I could never have opened on my own. So Lord, I speak right now to the raging storm of trouble and fear in people's hearts. Peace, be still in Jesus' name. I speak to the roaring lion of shame and regret and a failure. I, I speak to it of, over sickness, the voice of sickness and symptoms. Be still in Jesus' name. And Father, I release that unlimited grace, that unlimited healing, that unlimited presence of the very river of God. Come, Lord, fill up your temple. We're called the temple of God. Lord, come and fill your temple. And please, God, please, don't just fill us. Overflow so that everyone around us is touched. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.